0: You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez.
1: What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carats Podcast. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me as always on a Monday is Chris. How's it going today, Chris?
0: I'm good. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Getting this week started. It's good seeing you. Um, excited to talk about these draft picks. And I'm glad the draft is coming gone. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a yes. big, like, uh, kind of, uh, the anticipation and the anxiety has passed, you know?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely has. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little relieved myself because I, now I feel like I can just kind of chill for a little bit until, you know, OTAs and I guess it's OTAs now, but you know what I mean? Like once we get into training camp and stuff, I'm kind of just smooth sailing. I put a lot of work in during the draft. And uh, it was actually pretty cool getting to interview like all these those players the last few weeks and then seeing them get drafted. And then like now all those videos are, are getting a lot of recognition because like fans from those teams want to see. like They want to know what they got in some of these guys. So it was pretty cool. And the 49ers actually ended up uh, drafting or, or signing a couple of those guys. Uh, Braden Willis, who I interviewed at the Combine. I shared his interview a couple of times, and then also Spencer Wagey out of North Dakota State. He was someone who the 49ers signed as an undrafted free agent. Um, yeah, so pretty cool to to get that, um, you know, get that content up. But, you know, today, Chris, we're, we're talking about this draft, and, you know, a, a lot has been said about this draft already, so I kind of just wanted to make it more of a, like, okay let's let's talk about these players like what's interesting about them and how do they fit in with the 49ers I'm not really here to grade anything you know I think that's been done uh I think you know we feel how we feel about the kicker situation whether you like that pick or not it's like okay whatever but uh you know we're, we're just here to talk about some of the good things we Make make you feel good about some of these picks some of them we might still question a little bit that's fine but you know i think overall we're we're just uh we're excited to have a new group of guys come into the building and see how they fit in with the rest of this already stacked team right so let's just like get right into it the first pick and the 49ers didn't pick until 99 right it was uh penn state safety jair brown and this one like they started off with a bang uh I, I thought this was a great way to start the draft. Um, and, it, you know, you, you can totally see why they would like him if you think about the, the type of culture guys that they typically look for. Uh, you know, Jair Brown was named Penn State's team MVP, and he was also the winner of the Iron Lion Award, which is award given to, I guess, like a player that, Uh, shows up for strength and conditioning and and, uh, it's a strength and conditioning award. So uh, definitely has some work ethic uh, is a plus for Jair Brown. And uh, I'm excited about this one. I mean, we know that Deshaun Gibson with one year left on his deal, uh, you know, they were going to have to possibly look at drafting his replacement, have him waiting in the wings, learning a little bit this first season. And also with the addition of Steve Wilkes this offseason, right, as the defensive coordinator, we knew he was going to have a real, uh, you know, he was going to put a stamp on the secondary uh, first and foremost. And I think this was, this was a pick that really showed that. And Jair Brown, I think, kind of fits with what Steve Wilkes typically likes.
0: No, I agree. And one thing about, you know, diving into the, you know, the uh the details, you know, regarding the the draft picks and everything. I think that one thing that it shows me, and that this exercise always shows me is that the Niners have a process, right? Like they have mm-hmm. a a plan. Um, and to your point about, you know, grading the draft and so on and so forth, people have said a lot. I saw the athletic had like the 32nd strongest draft at this past draft with the Niners and such, you know, so to yeah. me, when you're looking at these players' traits, the type of character that they have, you can see how they fit into the culture. You can see how they fit into, you know, the team that the Niners have constructed, especially from a defensive standpoint. And actually, offensively too, we'll get into that. But um, considering the success that the Niners have had over the last, you know, four or five years in particular, um, during the uh, Shanahan and Lynch regime, um, it makes sense. You you can see that these are like Niner guys, right? And yeah. then it also shows to me that they have they have um, confidence in their in their plan from a scouting standpoint to a coaching standpoint and the type of player that they want to look at standpoint. So all that put together, to me, it kind of you know while while the Niners may not have had like the sexiest picks, I mean. They didn't have a first, they didn't have a second. They're at the end of the third, you know, until they moved up for Brown. But given um, those circumstances and given all that I mentioned about, you know, the coaching, recruiting, um, scouting, and uh, the player profiles that they're looking for, it makes total sense why they uh, why they were, uh, you know, picked some of these guys that they picked. One additional thing that I'll mention about um, Jair Brown is the fact that he was an accomplished basketball player in high school. So, you know, the athleticism you know that's that's an that's a trait obviously that uh is is uh consistent with um with minor players especially as it relates to the safety position we've talked about this over the last year or so about so many that were former mm-hmm. uh about how linebackers have been you know converted safeties and so on, mm-hmm. and so, on. so uh yeah. showing that additional athleticism totally makes sense he was a minor guy
1: yeah for sure and and to your point about you know the the kind of players that the 49ers look for. And, you know, based on some of the coaches that they have, uh, I believe it was Adam Pete. Yeah. It was Adam Peters. He had a post draft uh, interview, right? They, they had the presser for him and, and Tariq Ahmad and Adam Peters said that this was the most collaborative draft that they had, you know, with the coaches and everything. And I think you can kind of tell that. I mean, even looking at the pick we're gonna talk about in a second, the Jake Moody selection, they anytime that, you know, Kyle, John, any anytime any of those guys were asked about that selection, they say Brian Snyder, you know, loved him. Uh and so I think some of these coaches, you know, really had a strong say and in, in voice uh in You know, some of the players that got selected and, you know, I hope I hope that it it means that these are good selections. Right. Because not every coach is probably a good, uh, you know, scout. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to be good at one over the other or anything like that. But, you know, I, I hope that it does mean that these players will be great fits. And I think that's part of the reason why maybe like we saw the 49ers not quite, uh you know taking value right because they were going for guys that were more fits than values and that's why right. I think they were one of the lowest uh you look at any of the draft grades 49ers are among like I think the lowest or the worst right in terms of value and that I I don't love that personally but it's like you can't argue too much if those players end up just being great fits for what they already have and Kyle Shanahan also mentioned the fact that, you know, they didn't feel like they there was any starting positions open on this roster. And that, that totally makes sense uh, besides the kicker position, right? It's the only one that he said, like, they feel like they needed a starter. Clearly, you know, Zane Gonzalez, they haven't really gotten a chance to see him, I guess, yet until, like, they really get into the competition. And I think they always plan to compete or have someone compete with Zane Gonzalez. So Jake Moody is that guy, right? They they selected him with their second pick. And again, it was in the third round, but again, it was in the third round and you're selecting a kicker, right? So uh, I didn't know how I felt about that one. I mean, I, I do get the reasoning behind saying he would have probably gone in the fourth round, which, you know, if you look at the Patriots who also drafted a kicker, or not also, but who did draft a kicker in the fourth round? They they drafted Chad Ryland out of Maryland just uh, you know, twelve or so picks later. Then I think they were kind of right in saying that. But it was funny they they picked him up with their second third round pick. They had three third round picks, right? They picked him with the second one, and you know, they could have probably waited till one oh one, but Whatever, uh, Jake Moody, of course, is someone that they, like I said, Brian Schneider really liked, um, and you know I, I think what they did like was the fact that he had big game experience. He had all types of weather experience. You know, k- kicking in Michigan, you you deal with snow, rain, sleet, and snow, all of it, right? And and definitely Moody had that experience and kicking well in those conditions. So, you know, I I could see why they would like him out of all of the other kickers. Um, but again, you know, the value comes into question, and I think that's totally fair. Now, if Jake Moody ends up being, you know, uh, one of the top kickers in the league, then I don't think in a few years we, we care that he was drafted in the third round. We'll we'll probably just laugh about it. But even still, um, you know, it, it made for an interesting pick and an interesting day two for the 49ers.
0: Yeah, I agree with you from a from a positional um, value standpoint. I was kind of surprised that that was the pick when it was. I mean, obviously, you know, expresses that that was their guy, that's who they wanted. Um, personally, I think that you know, again, there are pros and cons with all of these picks, right? If, if Moody hits, then you know, that's great. Obviously, you know, in hindsight, but you know, you know, given Zane Gonzalez or any other kicker for that matter that was in the draft, whether you got them later in later rounds or they were undrafted. Um, I, this is going to sound funny, but I, I don't necessarily need to have Justin Tucker. Right. I just need someone that's reliable. And, and what is the, I need in,
1: Justin, I'm sorry, but I need, need
0: Justin, Tucker. Tucker. I,
1: I he needs to be at that level. If you're drafting a kicker oh, in the right. third round, he better be like Justin oh, Tucker level.
0: Oh, without a doubt. No, no, dear, you're right. In that respect. Yeah, I was just saying like, um, in general, right. Like they wanted to go after they, they were afraid that the best kicker in the draft wouldn't be there. So yeah. that's why they went and got him when they got him. I mean, you know, who's to say he wouldn't have been or wouldn't have fallen? Or who's to say that someone else, uh, you know, maybe didn't have Jake Moody as high on their board? Who knows at this point? But in my in my opinion, um, you know, a, a, another kicker probably would have been there. You still have Zane Gonzalez in house. What's interesting to me is the aspect of there still being potentially a, a competition, right? Because you got him at three. So I would think that, you know, I, it would be – Tragic if he actually loses that competition is zane Gonzalez, right? I mean, when you're when you're thinking about the people who are on the board still, um at that time, that's what makes it kind of like a head scratcher. Uh however, you know, looking back at last year, I remember wondering why we weren't, you know, grabbing some of the blue chip safeties um when they were yeah. available on the board. Um, I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh I don't know if at least I personally thought at that time was still a question mark, so on and so forth. They believe their process, you know, so it's one of those like trust the process, you know, situations. Right. So, um, they're convicted. Um, I just hope it works out.
1: Convicted. You use John Lynch's favorite word. Convicted. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it works out too. You know, uh, I have a old coworker, old buddy of mine who, you know, he was, uh, former Wolverine and these Wolverine fans like they are diehards like uh, the Michigan alums are just very they they love their football team and they will pound the table for any of those guys but I think especially Jake Moody after the 49ers made that pick like he texted me he was ecstatic about it um because you know of course now he lives in the Bay Area so uh, he definitely loved it. I just wanted to share what he mentioned. First, this was the interaction. He said, Jake Moody, dude is so steady, underrated leg. Um, and then, you know, he went on to say it, a thread, like why he liked Moody. And I just wanted to share this because yeah. maybe, just maybe, like if we can feel better about the the pick, this will help. So he said uh, – he he was in a place kicking rotation in 2018 to 19 with Quinn Norton. Norton was the more explosive kicker, but Moody was always the more dependable. Not easy to perform when you're basically in a never-ending competition, but he did, and that's good because he is going to be in a competition. You know, early on in his NFL career with Zane Gonzalez, right, who already has NFL experience, right? Albeit he is coming off of an injured injury season, but you know, I think that. Moody's going to be in that situation again. He's been there before, so hopefully that experience comes in handy. Here's here's what else he said. Moody had a dreadful 2020. I didn't like to hear that, but uh, he said, as the entire Michigan team did, he was 0-3 in the season opener and only attempted one field goal after that, but he came back and was the best kicker in the country in 2021 and 2022. Confidence never wavered. Um, at least a Michigan Har- Harbaugh has never been afraid to put his kickers in high leverage spots. He expects them to deliver, which is true. Even, I think, even about like Harbaugh's time as 49ers head coach, like, yes, he, he always kind of leaned on his kickers and in, in important spots like that. And when you have a guy like Jake Moody who did deliver, I think even more you, you lean on a, a guy like that. So he even brought up all the games. Uh, 2018 Indiana, 2019 Army, 2021 Nebraska, 2022 Illinois. Those games were 100% Moody's to win or lose, and Michigan won all of them. He also went on to say that it kicks well on grass, on turf, in good climates, and bad climates. To my point earlier, like I think that was a huge plus that the 49ers considered uh, when looking at Moody. And uh, he also said he has a nat he has a nice natural draw, but can also straighten the ball out when he needs to. I know kickers are kind of a crapshoot, but he's as experienced and well prepped a-, a college kicker as you could have. So you know, I, I awesome just thought like, yeah, like that was a-, a ringing endorsement. I you know, I'm not a Michigan fan. I not- I haven't watched all of their games. Like I I couldn't really say all of these things about him or, you know, I, I think someone who's seen all those games knows the situations that Jake Moody has been in and has excelled in, um, you know, I, I, I lean on his word now, uh, my friend, Tony and shout out, Tony, uh, hopefully Jake Moody does work out or I'm coming for you, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it definitely was a, a glowing endorsement from him as well. And I can't imagine that, you know, Brian Schneider doesn't feel the same way.
0: Yeah, I actually forgot that he was a Lou Grozer winner in 2021. So he was the best kicker in the country in 21. I did see some um, um, feedback, or I shouldn't say feedback, some information and data um, during, I think, the draft about how <clears throat> 2020 was rough for him. But um, I, I don't. I actually kind of like the adversity, too, um, being able to flush that, move on, get better. I mean, he was the best kicker in the country. After that, albeit an amended yeah. season, because I think the Big Twelve only did—I mean the Big Ten, excuse me—only did like six games or something during the, the, the COVID or whatever. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, the reality is, if, if if he's the man, I mean, the Nyers may not have to worry about the kicking position for like 20 years. You know, what I mean, those guys played did for mean, a did long you say time. Twenty? Yeah, those guys. Those guys <laughs> played a long time. You know, what I mean, like wow, you I don't were talking about, about you. Yeah, you're you're talking about you're talking about the Harvard years. I mean, Phil Dawson was like what forty. Yeah, Phil Dawson. He's he an old dude. He was an old dude. Yeah. Um. Acres too
1: when he was. Oh yeah, yeah. was legit too, man.
0: Yeah, I. Yeah, so I mean, I think that they 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 took a big they took a swing. I think is what they were trying to. They went from you know it's it's clearly evident the uh, the belief and the um you know, how they feel about Robbie Gold and they wanted to kind of replace him with who they thought would be the best to do it. So, um
1: yeah, we'll we'll see. Like like we said, it is a crapshoot, you know, the draft overall. But I think like there's been several examples now of certain, you know, kickers who were the top kickers in college that go to the NFL and just, you know, turn into pumpkins. So I, I think we got to. <laughs> We just got to hope that's not the case with Jake Moody. But, you know, we've already been talking about kickers for, what, five minutes now? I think that's our quota for the day. Um, the the following pick, and this is why it was still very confusing, because, like I said, they could have drafted Jake Moody at, like, 102. I think that was the other pick, right? Their other third-round pick. I uh, At and and they went with the other one. Or, yeah. So this pick was Cameron Latu tight end at Alabama, Alabama, you know, you you think Alabama and you're like, Oh, great. This must must be a great player. Not that Cameron Latu is not a great player, but I feel like he could have gone later in the draft. And this is again, going to the point of, Value, right? Clearly, the 49ers don't care about what everyone else thinks about value. They just are looking for a specific thing and they want the player that fits that specific thing. Uh, clearly, Cameron Ladd to fit whatever they were looking for. Uh, you know, the the cool thing about him, he was invited to uh, George Kittle's tight end university. He was one of three tight end prospects coming out of this class who were invited. So, you know, that that means something, you know, to only be one of three. Uh, George Kittle, I'm sure, had some maybe some good things to say about Latu after that. Um, and, you know, he's a former defensive end in high school, and that's originally how Alabama recruited him. And it wasn't until 2019, I think, that he started playing tight end with Alabama. So he's still pretty new to the position. And I wonder if that's what the 49ers did like about him. The fact that he's kind of still, he's, he's like a ball of clay that, that they can mold into the tight end uh their ideal tight end. And so, but I, that's still confusing to me though, because if you look at his athleticism, it's pretty average. He isn't fast. He ran a 4.78, 40, his size is not very ideal either. He's 6'4, but uh 242 pounds, only benched 14. So I feel like when you're looking for a high upside guy that you want to develop, you also look at traits, right? You you buy into traits and you hope that the athleticism is gonna be enough to like mold into something good, but he doesn't even really have the traits. So I kind of like I I kind of wonder what they saw in him. I, I do know that uh the tight ends coach Brian Fleury uh did have a sit down with Cameron Latu that lasted about two hours where they were just going through tape. Um, and I don't know, maybe there was a lot of uh must have left a really big impression on Brian Fleury if uh, you know, they felt like Cameron Latu had to be the pick. It, going back again to the fact that Adam Peter is saying this was the most collaborative uh, draft that they've had with their coaches maybe that was a guy that brian flurry was you know hitting the table for Cameron too so they felt like they needed to get him not sure not sure what the plan is for him either i mean i i know some people have said that he's uh an average blocker you know he's not known for his blocking i don't know about that like i was looking at um uh, i was watching one game and you know yes it was just one game i'll have to watch more but he looked like a pretty fine blocker to me. Uh, so I'm not sure, I, I, but again, I'm, I'm not sure what the the plan or the role is going to be for him uh, going forward.
0: Yeah. I, I was kind of curious with this pick as well. Um, and honestly, I, it was kind of polarizing because you, you know, I, I saw so many, um, a lot of feedback and you know, that was positive and a lot of feedback that was not very positive. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting as well. Um, you know, and, NFL Network ha- had some, you know, their kind of analysis was all over the place, you know, kind of doing our, you know, you know, research and study for this, you know, conversation today. Um, I usually utilize some different sources, but um, it's interesting because, you know, NFL Network says, you know, he has some pretty solid pop and contact as a blocker. However, you know, he needs to work on buying and walling off coverage. So I get the impression that, as a weakness that last part was. So I got the impression that, you know, the blocking was seen as being like a strength. Um, but again, others, you know, I've seen other feedback, you know, um, you mm-hmm. know, especially on draft night where that seemed to be a concern, um, where he was better known for, you know, being a blocker or whatever the case, his numbers were similar to, uh, to, um, to kiddos, I think coming out of college at that time. So, you know, that being said, it's not like, you know, uh, Kittle is anywhere close to being as devastating as, of a tight end in, you know, at Iowa as he is with the Niners. It's, so it remains to be seen, as you have said already, that, you know, you kind of want to see what his role is going to be. Um, getting a tight end, especially the first one that you're, you know, bringing into your draft class. I still am, you know, looking for that other, I'm not going to say George Kittle, but, you know, <clears throat> devastating dual threat kind of tight end, right? Like yeah. I was thinking that would be like a, a profile that was kind of stronger in regard to, you know, being, you know, um, you know, you know, a stronger a pass, pass catcher. catcher. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There and then also- was
1: like that in this class?
0: Yeah. So again, you know, this gives the impression that this is one of, you know, their guys, if you will, that they identified mm-hmm. as being, that fits their traits. Um, and if he can develop in a way that, Again, George Kittle might be a, a an anomaly or a unicorn, but if they could develop him um, to be a better, um, a stronger pass catcher, and you know he's got Kittle that to you know work alongside him as well, and you know you know get polished as a blocker and such, he may be all right. But I wasn't super excited. I'm I'm still looking and and, and hoping and dreaming for you know those two tight end sets where you have two you know, true threats to, to, you know, going to, to a pattern or at least to, 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 to threaten the defense with the threat of, you know, catching the ball and such as well as the other positions on the field. So we'll see, I'll be, I'll really be closely following um um camera Latu, um throughout like training camp and especially in preseason as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, career stats in Alabama, 56 receptions, 787 yards, yards per, uh, catch, uh, 12 touchdowns. Um, he wasn't the first option in, you know, that Alabama offense, which you can look as a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I, kind of see it as like a good thing because, you know, he wasn't getting the ball that often. And, you know, he still had a pretty decent, uh, role on, on the offense. I mean, yeah, he had a great you know uh quarterback who who just went uh in the first yeah he was the first pick in in the draft so uh we'll see how he does with the 49ers but again like I don't think clearly they're they're not looking for someone who's going to contribute like right yeah. away and they which don't is because they do have George Kittle but sure. yeah sure
0: yeah which is yeah. interesting no, you go ahead and talk about
1: the comment. No, to, the, to the point here, by great one, uh, 765, we don't need another Kittle. We just need a tight end that plays better than Dwelly and Warner to accommodate Kittle. And I, I don't think that's too hard to find. It shouldn't be, right? I mean, sure. this was a great draft class for for tight ends. Um, but, you know, I just, I guess I feel like there were other guys available who could also do that. Could have probably been better than Latu, who could have. That too could have, in my opinion, I think he would have been there in the fifth round or or later. I thought it was interesting that clearly they had a third round grade on him. (laughs) That's, uh, that was surprising to me, but. Yeah. The one final thing I'll say.
0: Yeah. The one final thing I'll say about him is too, um, is the fact that given everything we've said already, and then uh, conceivably being in the Alabama offense, you know, when you're, when you're playing on a team, that's stacked with like five stars on the line, um, there's obviously excellent coaching, um, running backs, you know, other receivers and such, even in, in that kind of offense, he still wasn't like overly impressive. If that makes sense, that's kind of, that, I mean, that could be a, sometimes playing with Alabama is a positive, sometimes it's a detriment, right? Because it's yeah. like, you get the whole aspect of, oh, well you were at Alabama. So of course it was easier, but that being said, like, you know, um, you know, I, I just want to kind of see. It, it, you know, how much of that was created by his own kind of talent or the system around him. So we'll we'll just have to wait and see.
1: Yeah. Yep. That we will. I'll definitely keep an eye on that. Come training camp. Uh but the following pick and and now we're we're going into their day three picks. Day three I thought was great. Like it it was awesome. It made me feel a lot better after, you know, day day two and, and their picks there. Um, you know, aside from Jair Brown, who, you know, I liked that pick a lot, uh, but Daryl Luter, uh, cornerback, they needed to find corners in this draft. You know, we've been saying they need corner depth and they found it in Daryl, Daryl Luter. Sorry. Um, he's a long armed corner and he's strong. Uh, and Adam Peters, you know, pointed out the fact that he was the most mature guy that they had met in the process and they had a top 30 visit with him. They pointed out the fact that he's married, you know, like clearly these things like mean a lot to this team Mm -hmm. and just like the culture fit. I I think uh, Adam Peters was asked about that after, like, is that kind of something that you look for, uh, you know, if they're married or like, you know, mature. But I mean, he he pretty much said, like, in their experience, those guys have, you know, kind of uh, been more, uh, I guess, I, I forget what he what his actual answers uh, was, kind but of spoke
0: to the maturity piece. Yeah,
1: yeah. So clearly left a strong impression um, on this team. I mean, they also mentioned the fact that at the Senior Bowl, I think we talked about it before. The Senior Bowl is definitely like their their hub for finding guys. A lot of the guys that they they like end up being you know good contributors in the Senior Bowl. You think about when they drafted Debo. Uh, I believe they. They coached Depot in the senior bowl yeah, coaching staff, yeah. uh, so I, I think they they hold the senior bowl to a pretty like high uh standard and in, in looking for guys and and so definitely a Darrell looter was someone who stood out to them in that process and d- throughout that week um and yeah I, I saw it too like he's in his one on ones he's aggressive uh he's very disruptive against receivers. And he had a great 2021. He led the team in interceptions, also led the team in past breakups with 10. Um, he was selected as a Sun Belt Conference defense, Defensive Player of the Year by Pro Football Focus. Um, and he was a three-sport athlete in high school as well. So I, I like this pick. I feel like at the very least, he should be a special teams contributor, you know, year one.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. And then he's another guy that you know has had multifaceted um athleticism, right? So he was a three sport athlete in high school, football, basketball, and track. Um, in my research, I found about him that you know his strength is reading route combinations, uh, which is cool. So basically, he plays the ball well in the air and excels in his zone scheme. So I'm curious as to if that kind of gives some indication as to uh, what Steve Wilkes is looking to deploy. Um, primarily from a defensive standpoint we'll see i don't know um but that's his strength you know is is being in the zone scheme and such he's got some speed on him he ran a four four six at the combine um so this pick was acquired um in the jeff wilson trade jeff wilson jr trade Mm. so uh that the information i got on looter was from the from the draft network um i'm wondering if it's kind of like uh if he's like a uh Emmanuel Mosley kind of Manny Mosley kind of um
1: that'd be uh, yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> like
0: image, if you will. 5'11, um, 189 pounds. Mosley's probably got a little more weight on him than that, but I mean he'll he'll probably put on some weight between you know now and the in the season and definitely over the next year or so. So that's that's kind of with the vibe that I'm getting with um with the looter pick.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely like that one. I think he. You know he he's definitely making the fifty three. He's gonna have some depth, add some depth to this team. Ambry Thomas, watch out because uh, I was just these, thinking I was these about are to say probably mm-hmm. numbered. Um, if he doesn't have a stellar camp, uh, but uh, that's topic for another day. You know, <laughs> but but moving on with, with the picks, Robert Robert Beal Jr. I was surprised that the 49ers didn't go with an edge rusher in the one of their third round picks, but I get it though. I think they really liked Yaya Diaby, but he went like way earlier than that. I yeah, think a little earlier than even I thought he was going to. So I get it. If he was on their board and he, he was gone, what can you do? Right. So they, instead they went different directions, Uh but they got Robert Beal um, in the fifth round. And I thought this is pretty good value. I mean, John Lynch spoke about the fact that Kirby smart, you know, really gave, uh, a glowing endorsement of Beal to Lynch. And, you know, they they trust Kirby Smart and, uh, you know, what he has to say about his players. He was a part-time player at Georgia, started 10 of the 59 games that he he appeared in. Uh, so, again, just just a part-time player. But I, that's kind of the role that I expect him to have on the 49ers as well. Uh, and I think that works for him. He's going to be, I think, a situational pass rusher, and he brings speed, most importantly, 4.4740, 40, 34 in charms. Um, he had 49 tackles, 10 and a half for loss, nine and a half quarterback sacks in his final two seasons. So even though he was kind of overshadowed by some of the guys on that Georgia defensive line, I think he's going to end up being, you know, a, a pretty good rotational piece.
0: No, I agree with you on that. And um, it's interesting because you know, I feel like, you know, we've heard in the media as well as the team kind of allude to the fact that they've been looking for that, uh, you know, speed on the other side of the defensive line, um, similar to what they had in 2019. I'm not sure if, um, Beal was what they had in mind. I know there's a pick later on that we'll probably talk about as well. That could also kind of fit that, that, that mold. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, he also has like a seven foot wingspan, which I didn't know until I was like looking him up, <laughs> which is crazy.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah, that's insane. But um, it's interesting. So you know, I found also he holds against you know hold his holds his ground against power. Um, lacks a little bit of awareness as a run defender. Um, and and uh, he has some 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 uh, average um tackling ability. But I I didn't think that Drake Greenlaw was the best tackler coming out, and he's been you know, refined and and polished up and stuff as well. So I think that, um, you know, with the, with the coaching and with the defense um, I I feel like they have a specific role for him in that regard. Um, It's interesting that he was at Alabama, I'm sorry, Georgia for for five years. Again, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? I'm all about, you know, people getting their education and so on and so forth. Um, That's, I support that big time on the same token, sometimes, you know, it's kind of like, well, why were they in school for so long? You know, um, how come you made it that? Well, how, how, was you know?
1: it maybe the COVID year?
0: Oh, good call on that. Good call. Yeah. call. You, you could opt out. That's right. See, there you go. So that's probably what it was. So, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited because of the traits. Really. I, I try to, I try hard to not fall in love with traits. He's got them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, um, he may be, uh, be uh, a a good uh, player in the Y9.
1: Yes, absolutely. And he grew up watching Alden Smith. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, at Georgia, they they watched a lot of Nick Bosa and what he does. So I think if you can model any of your game uh, after either of those guys or both of those guys, I I think you're already ahead of the curve. Uh, A really funny, like, comment that it was either Adam Peters or, or John Lynch made about Robert Peel was that he had the highest, uh, GTFO grade. And if you know what that acro- <laughs> yeah. acronym means, it's, uh, get the fuck out grade. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's basically a grade that they use to measure, I guess a guys like get off and, you know, that's something that Chris Kosarik kind of uses. And so Robert Beal had the highest one in this draft class, which I think, you know, says a lot. Again, we're, we talked about how much this team needs a speed rusher and I feel like they feel they got one in Robert Beale, and it's kind of hard to argue.
0: Sure. And I think that speaks to um because I saw uh Peters talking about that on um, the other day the GTFO Oh, I think actually I think it was Shanahan that maybe said something to Lynch. He was like, "Hey, talking about the GTFO." But anyway, um, <laughs> it shows that they have a process, right? And I'm sure you know someone listening to this might say, "Yeah, well, every team does, or whatever." Well, it's it's reinforcing because they have a plan. You know, they have a they have a a formula that they're that they're utilizing to identify and um, uh, measure these prospects. So I like it. I love it. You know, and we already know what Chris Kosarik. You know, he does his thing. Um, you know, best defensive line um, coach in the league, in my opinion. So I'm really excited to see um, what they can do with these guys.
1: Yeah, for sure. And he he played at the East West Shrine Bowl game. Career stats, 72 tackles, 12 for loss, 10 and a half sacks, two pass breakups, two forced fumbles. Um, I'm excited to see what Chris Kosarik does with him. He can work wonders with guys who have the trades. So I think he can do a lot with him but uh moving on i mean this was another pick that i really liked another fifth round pick so who would have thought right i mean the 49ers seem to just have a knack for killing the fifth round and i like this pick linebacker d winters at a tcu uh 49ers as well as being uh you know great at drafting in the fifth round also finding gems at the linebacker position they've been great at that uh with this regime and d winters i think is a guy who just looks like a niner he plays like a niner uh watching the the linebackers at the senior bowl you know that was kind of something that i kind of pay attention to a little bit and one of the guys that looked like a niner was marty Mapu, and i talked about marty Mapu a lot right and he got drafted way early uh like yeah. i think even even was it the, was it the fourth round or I, I don't know. So. He went pretty early um, earlier than I thought he would have. Um, and that was, Oh no, you went before the third round. I think you went to the Patriots. Uh, so after, you know, Marty Mapu left. I, I was kind of hoping they'd go D winters because both of those guys were guys that I really liked and who looked like 49 er line Packers when they were out at the senior bowl. They're, you know, very quick to the ball. Uh, you know, the recognition looked to be, pretty quick as well and that just something that you know 49 linebackers are are pretty good at and or have developed to be really good at so d winters was definitely someone i liked you know i think he's on the somewhat smaller end uh, if i'm not mistaken but you know just because of the way that he plays i think this is a great pick uh at tcu he tied uh dylan horton and horton by the way was a fourth round pick for the texans he tied Dylan Horton for the team lead with 14 and a half sack, sorry, 14 and a half tackles for loss um, while placing second with seven and a half sacks. He also played some wide receiver in high school. So he's got a, a bit of athleticism as well. And I'm just excited about how he'll fit into the linebacker room because with guys like Fred Warner and uh, Greenlaw already in the building, uh, I think he's going to get a pretty fair shot competing against McCrary ball Um I'm I'm excited to see it.
0: I am too. And especially when you kind of dig into uh the information on him. Um, explosive knows he's known for being an explosive tackler, excellent at contain, um, has experience at playing inside and outside. So he's got that, you know, just experience in general, um, being a field general in that regard. Um, four four nine. So he moves. He kind of he kind of makes me think of like uh Drake Greenlaw. When I think about his uh, profile, if you will, um, he's projected to be a, a a will linebacker. So we'll see you know, how that all shakes out. But I do agree with you as far as, you know, kind of um, the I don't know if you want to call it a camp battle, but between him and McCrary Ball, whether, you know, who who's who's going to be kind of like the, you know, the starter in that regard um, and who might be kind of regular relegated to more of a backup slash special teams role.
1: Yeah, um, if if you guys don't know who Emory Hunt is, he's like a draft analyst. Works for CBS Sports. He this guy he's one of the best follows if you like NFL draft content. And so he had a draft guide, and he actually had D. Winters as his top uh, Will linebacker, if you could believe it, ahead of Marty Mapu, ahead of other guys like. Uh, Jalen Graham, he actually had as his number five ranked. uh, Will, we'll talk Mm. about it. But Dorian Williams was another linebacker that I I saw a lot of 49er fans mention. Uh, He was higher than him. Henry Toto, he was higher than. So, top ranked, uh, Will, linebacker. Let me just. Uh, you know, kind of relay some of the things that he said of D winter's versatile player, who I believe can play all three linebacker spots, top notch athleticism, explosiveness and fluidity within his approach, good football IQ versus the run game, able to trust what he sees and then assertively gets downhill to get there again, like, I feel like I'm describing a 49ers linebacker, you know what I mean? Like that's just how 49ers linebackers plays. And so I I really feel like he, he fits into what they typically like. And, and I think he's going to fit in awesome with, with this group. Um, I'm really excited about it. So D winters, I think is going to be potentially a diamond in the rough for this team. Let's look at the seventh round selections. 49ers had three seventh round picks, right. Uh, And, you know, I I said it before the draft, you know, that I feel like if the 49ers wanted to double dip on any position, they could go edge because it was a deep edge class. They could go corner because it was a deep corner class. Or they could double dip on tight ends. Very deep tight end class, right? And obviously, uh, we kind of felt it was a need in terms of their depth. And I've mentioned Braden Willis several times. If you guys, you know, have seen any of my videos if you guys seen me on other people's channels and they asked me like who do you think could could the 49ers draft out of these group of top 30 visits or these group of guys I always said Braden Willis he's always someone I mentioned um and because at the combine I'll bring it up again he said I love them they love me you know so I kind of latched onto those words and it turns out they did love him John Lynch said that they had a fifth round grade on him, and so the fact that he was still there for for him, for them at, in the seventh round, they're like we got to get him. So that's kind of what prompted them getting two tight ends. For them, that was great value, uh, and I think it's great value as well because I was kind of thinking he'd go in that fifth round range. Uh, too so, Brandon Willis. I'm kind of excited about that one. In 2022, it, that was his first year as a full-time starter at Oklahoma, and he had seven touchdowns on 39 receptions. That's a pretty good, um, <laughs> pretty good fraction there. I don't know if you guys are good at fractions or percentages, <laughs> but that's a that's a pretty favorable number. Seven touchdowns on 39 catches, like that's crazy. And his seven touchdowns led the team that season. Uh, he was also one of three recipients of Oklahoma's Don key award, which, you know, is to recognize excellence on and off the field. So obviously a guy with great, you know, character, we talk about the, the culture fit, right? You know, these are kind of the guys that 49ers look for. Um, and I, I think he's going to fit in really well with, uh, what the 49ers do. He, you can kind of line him up anywhere, H back, you know, uh, in line, you know, he he could do a lot of different things, and I'm excited to see what the 49ers do with him. Honestly, I feel like he's a better tight end than Cameron Latu, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something with the Latu thing, and maybe I know something the 49ers don't. Who knows? Uh, but as of right now, that's, that's my assessment of, you know, the two tight ends that they picked.
0: Yeah, the vibe I'm getting from Braden Willis is potentially like red zone threat, red zone target, um, you know, chain mover. Uh, you know, with those uh, statistics that he has and the success that he's had um, in that short yardage game, um, you know, with strong hands and such, like, you know, that's, I love that, you know, what George Kittle provides, you know, being able to be basically take to the house on almost any given play, that's amazing, right? But as a tight end, what I want you to be, you know, what my dream tight end is someone that can block great in pass protection, gives the threat of being, a, um, you know, uh, a pass catcher um and that I kind of see that in Braden Willis honestly mm-hmm. um you know he's he's noted at having run after the catch um toughness as well um what was interesting and this is again NFL.com got some interesting um analyses in comparison to some of the other uh, sites I to look at but they said a high percentage of his catches came with nobody around him in space now, I, I mean, obviously they wrote that for a reason, but I've seen some of his games and I, did, I didn't necessarily agree with that. Um, but then also, again, right, it, it's, is, that, is that an issue? Is, was, he, was it because he was open? Is it because of the scheme? Um, I don't necessarily see that as a negative. Um, you know, so I guess maybe that's what they're speaking to is that I think a better way of articulating that is uh, maybe they like to see a little more about his uh, contested catch ability. I like that better right because
1: yeah,
0: how many how many 49ers players um are, are catching balls with nobody around them you know so that doesn't make that that doesn't make you know Brandon Ayuk or Debo any less of a you know you know good pass catcher so at any rate I am really excited about Braden willis to be honest um I'm a little more ha- hype about him than Latu, um not to knock him but I you know that, that's just my my perspective um right now.
1: So this is what Emery Hunt had to say about uh, Braden Willis in his draft guide. Uh, he's an above average receiver in the short to intermediate area of the field. Does a great job of catching the ball away from his frame, which makes him an excellent threat in traffic. Has the versatility to be flexed out as a big slot, while also having the experience as a short yardage, green zone, wildcat quarterback. Yeah, there, there's a few times at Oklahoma, he, they had him back there as a wildcat Quarterback, so I, you know, they they can mix it up with him. He could do a number of different things. I feel like Kyle Shanahan is, is gonna kind of love the possibilities with Braden Willis. So I, I love this pick in the seventh round. Like I think that's pretty. Think good slept on? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I, you know, I kind of feel the same way about this next guy, Ronnie Bell, also another Michigan guy. Clearly, they love their Michigan guys, um, which is. It's kind of funny i wonder how Judd york feels about that like <laughs> just like all the all the hardball guys um you know becoming great players in the nfl uh michigan's 2022 offensive skill player of the year was ronnie bell and you know i, I think that says a lot also team captain again looking at leaders looking at culture fits ronnie bell definitely fits that mold and he can return punts as well so i think even if he gets that, uh, you know, the dreaded uh, doghouse rookie season, it's okay. Maybe he can contribute in special teams, and maybe at the very least, he he'll be able to return punts. If anything happened to uh, uh, God, my mind is blanking. What what is his name? It's uh, the
0: the receiver. was in the doghouse.
1: No, the a returner, a return guy. Oh, Ray Ray. Yeah, Ray Ray McCloud. Uh, sorry, yeah. Ray Ray. Um, <laughs> it's been a long week. It's only Monday. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like at the very least, he could he could be depth behind Ray Ray McCloud, and uh, you know, I I think he'll be a contributor sooner than later, especially when we consider the fact that Juwan Jennings, you know, final year of his contract. Uh, Ronnie Bell can can slip right in and potentially be a contributor. So maybe don't expect too much in his first season, right? Again, doghouse, but <laughs> you know maybe maybe in the future, or maybe Ronnie Bell would be the guy to defies the the doghouse altogether. You know, maybe he has that uh, that pedigree where he doesn't even make it to the doghouse. Wouldn't that be something? But uh, I like.
0: Yeah, Steph, you know me. You know I I love getting receivers active early, and I I agree with yeah. you. It would be awesome um, to see some some productivity out of him early on. I don't know. I mean, that might be wishful thinking, but for whatever reason, you know, you know, it takes a little while for these guys to get going. I think Shanahan is like super hard on these guys for for whatever reason. But um, you know, a little bit more more about Ronnie Bell. Uh, he's a couple years removed from an ACL tear. Did that in twenty one. So probably the residual aspects related to that are probably, you know, kind of behind him. Um, some interesting notes that I found on him is that he may uh, need a little help from scheme or zone coverage to, to, to excel or succeed. Um, what better place to be than, you know, with the 49ers as it relates to, you know, an offensive, you know, uh, skill player. Uh, you know, resulting, I mean, um, playing in a, in, a, in a great scheme. So I think the Niners probably obviously saw that. That spoke to me as him being a guy that they would probably want to go after. Um, and also mentioning because he lacks a little bit of uh, ability to, to, you know, separate um, from corners or those that are defending him. That could be refined. You know what I mean? I, I'm not trying that, – that doesn't mean to say that he's going to be like that forever. Um, but another aspect to, to his game that I found was that he's a strong run blocker. Again, that's that speaks to um that speaks to the type of receiver that, you know, will excel in Shanahan's system also. So I, I mean I saw my share of Michigan games last year and he was balling. So um this might be a guy that, you know, yeah, that uh is, is maybe, you know, uh has get some run here and there. Um, you know, but I, I can see him sticking. Um I, I hope he does, um, because someone else will probably grab him up.
1: Yeah, and actually, like when even in the pre-draft process, when I was looking into Ronnie Bell, you know, sometimes I'd look into like some of the images because I would create, you know, I create my thumbnails and whatnot. Um, you'll see if you look at Ronnie Bell and look at images on Google, you'll see so many times he's like reaching out for the ball, he's making circus catches, uh, and that's one of the strengths that Emory Hunt. You know, noted in his draft guide as well, sacri- sacrifices for passes going deep downfield. He will lay out for it. You definitely see that in just some of the pictures. I thought that was uh kind of cool. So uh, it's always nice to have a guy like that. He has really strong hands as well. Um, also, Emery said he, that he plays well without the ball, able to help spring long runs due to his blocking. So to your point, like it seems like blocking is already, you know, pretty strong uh you know skill set of his, and honestly, I feel like that, among other things. But I feel like blocking is probably one of the toughest things to crack. Uh, to get into, get out of Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. Um, yes, yeah, true. So like, so like I yeah. said, may, maybe he'll he he won't be in the doghouse, but mm-hmm. we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Now, if he gets the opportunity, is another question because you know they got Depot, they they have IUK. They do like Jawan Jennings. He's still here, right? So yeah, you know. Uh, we'll we'll see. It it kind of the 49 roster and just how they run kind of reminds me of the Warriors because the Warriors really good team and they have like good talent. Like you think about uh, Kaminga. You know, you think about James Wiseman who they traded earlier this season. Yeah. Like you think about some of the talent they have that they're not really willing to give the time to let make mistakes on the field um, because they're that good of a team where it's like, we can't afford to even trade Lance. You could say the same thing about trade Lance, right? Like we can't afford to like develop you and have you make mistakes to learn. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, the skill positions and, and just everywhere for this team. So It is tough to to crack this uh, 53. It's tough to crack a starting position. You kind of got to, like, scratch and claw your way up to the top um, just because they're already so stacked. But uh, And I think that's why some of these draft picks, not really looking at anything other than how do these guys fit, how do these guys, you know, how will these guys look in terms of depth. I think uh, something... I actually, after we we finished talking about this last player, Jalen Graham, I wanted to sh- show a clip of uh, Tarek Ahmad and and what he said about their process and um, how they were looking at this draft in particular too, and how they're not only just scouting you know the the draft class but also scouting against their current group of guys. It's so, interesting
0: you say that. I was going to ask you a question about that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we'll 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 talk about after this, but Jalen Graham their their final pick i mean they go another linebacker i wasn't expecting them to get two linebackers but i think you know again at this point they're looking at value compared to their their um you know board so if they had an earlier grade on him and you know which i i would assume they did and they didn't want to let jalen walk or, or become a priority free agent you know they pulled the trigger on getting him in the seventh round. Uh, He started all but one game in his collegiate career, which is pretty difficult to do to just like start that many games, even from your first year there, uh, you know, at a college program, right? That's, that's typically pretty tough. Um, His career stats, 169 tackles, 12 and a half tackles for loss, three forced fumbles, two sacks, three interceptions. Uh, So you know, the 49ers know what they're looking for when it comes to the linebacker position, like we said. And so I, I trust that Jalen Graham could be someone down the line, maybe not this year. Right. But down the line could be someone who, you know, gets a larger role on this team.
0: I agree. He's got some, you know, he's got some okay speed four six four. um, you know, very aggressive from what I can see. He's instinctual, you know, strong tackler known for wrapping up and finishing. Um, i You know, that's that's something that I think the 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 art of tackling is kind of, um, you know, gone by the wayside, if you will, in the NFL and even sometimes in college as well. Um, So I love hearing that. He takes on lead blocks and plays with high energy and physicality. Uh, He primarily played star at Purdue. So, um, you know, there's some negatives that have been shared about his profile that I think might be a, a result of that um being main so mainly that like man coverage is a challenge for him um I think that uh that may be a result of him you know having to do a lot in that star role being in that hybrid mm-hmm. safety kind of linebacker role but in a in a strict you know kind of will kind of a four three type uh uh you know defensive scheme he could probably you know kind of you know tear down, you know, it reminds me of Samson Ebukam, who was talking about when he was at the Rams, he had to sometimes read and then react, um, as opposed to just being able to just go and just, you know, do his thing. That kind of makes me think about, you know, Jalen Graham as well, whereas, with, you know, in the star role, he's, he's kind of going from one coverage to the other, moving around the field and so on. Those responsibilities are different. So that might be where I, you know, um, I'm obviously making assumptions, but I, I feel like that might be kind of why some of the challenges that he had with man coverage may have presented themselves. Uh, but as a wheel linebacker, uh, I feel like, you know, he'd be able to kind of hone his uh, skill set and his traits to be more effective in in more specific um, aspects. So I'm excited about him as well. I was going to ask you, you spoke to that, to this, but I was going to ask you as well, like if you thought that it was kind of interesting taking the multiple linebackers in the draft um, in comparison to not taking a lineman at all. I mean, they, they, Mm -hmm. they, 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 they signed, you know, a few as undrafted free agents, but um, to me, that spoke to from the lineman perspective on its own, that spoke to the the belief in the uh, confidence that they have in the offensive line, everyone that they have in-house. And I'm sure they're going to still pick up some guys. I mean, they haven't gotten to the 90 yet. Um, but then as as it relates to the linebackers, specifically those Will linebackers, it looks like they're, you know, stacking the deck in that regard to see what cream is going to rise to the top um, as it relates to kind of like the self-scouting with, with McCrary ball. I was thinking, you know, he was the, uh, presumed, if you will, you know, leader in that room, which he still very well may be. I don't yeah. know, but um, but it's evident that they're 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 still trying to see uh, if they can get better even than what they already have.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, they get kind of greedy with with the linebackers, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you think about <laughs> this regime; they've they've even had to go as far as trading some linebackers in the past because they looked so good in, in training camp or like in the preseason uh, and, you know, they kind of get a, a little greedy, but you know, they also develop some of these guys into starters, eventual starters. You think about uh, Aziz, you know, we Yeah. A drafted guy. Mm-hmm. And so I think they, they know that they can develop these guys and clearly they're looking for something specific. Usually, a guy who has safety linebacker experience, like we've talked about, mm-hmm. and they kind of go from there and they feel like if you just have these traits and, and this experience, we can do something with that. And we could turn you into, you know, X kind of players. So, uh, you know, they've had success with it. Uh, I'm not mad at it at all. You know, I, I feel like Jalen Graham, maybe if, if he doesn't shine too much, <laughs> you know, that's always the risk that if they look too good, In the preseason, you can't stash him in your practice squad. He's going to get swooped, right? Uh, So I think in the past, it's why they've had to just kind of trade some guys just so they don't get anything uh, for the player. But, you know, I'm not mad at it. You know, linebacker as well is a position that they've dealt with injuries with so to your point, you know, I do think they have a lot of clearly a lot of faith in their offensive line, their starting offensive line. McCool, Colton McKivitz, I think, is gonna be that guy. I mean, John Lynch also mentioned Matt Pryor, who was one of their free agency pickups. Uh they have a lot of faith in him as well. So uh this is a actually a great segue into um you know Turk Ahmad's comment because it, it went along with what John Lynch said when he was asked, well, why didn't you guys like get an offensive lineman? Uh, pretty much because the guys who were in this draft, like they didn't feel like they were better than what they currently already have. So here's what uh, Ahmad said. Let me turn it up. We're evaluating everyone through the fall as if we're starting for us from scratch to get the value exactly correct as we talk about the players as we go in the winter and then during the April meetings, we, we compare them to the guys on our roster and how they would fit in. Um, so initially it doesn't change at all, but then we have to be able to clearly communicate what their exact value is a little bit later in the process. So yeah, pretty much like that's that's their process. Like first they look at the entire draft class as a whole, they rank them, and then they get to that process where they have to compare their rankings to who they have currently on the roster. So I think like in that process is where they decide, Oh, maybe we don't go that position here because none of these guys are available and the 49ers didn't have a pick until the third round. So you're looking at some of the tackles or other offensive linemen who were available there. You know, those guys, I guess kind of understandably aren't, you know, as good as, what what they had, or that's how they felt clearly.
0: To to that point, um, Steph, it, yes, I agree with you. To that point, it also makes me think about the defensive line, right? I a lot of times, um, like there are other, like, you know, you know, you know, your colleagues, podcasters or analysts and such that really think that um when a player is drafted or whatever the case is really indicative or kind of tells a story as to what someone a team believes about their um uh their team structure what their needs are and maybe that's true i don't know i think sometimes due to trades up trade ups trade downs people that fall like who's available when they, when it's time for you to pick that's more telling because sometimes i mean if that's the best person available and they're free falling i'm gonna grab them even if i don't you know whatever that being said however defensive line is another aspect right i was surprised um that there wasn't, you know, another defensive lineman that was maybe taken in this draft, but that's that told me that they must have, you know, they just brought Kerry Hyder back. Obviously, Javon Hargrave. I'm talking about depth, right? I'm not looking. I'm not talking about drafting for a starter from day one. Um, obviously, they feel good about um, Kerry Hyder's presence maybe they feel good about Kalia Davis's, um, you know, rehab and what he showed the last, I think like two or three games of last year's when he was practicing, he couldn't hit the field because they didn't activate him. But um, that is something else that, you know, we didn't speak about just yet. But, and also I haven't really heard what many people talk about. Um, to me, that that gives me the impression that they're okay with where they're at uh, from a defensive tackle standpoint as well. Um, even Even though one could think, that the Niners could have drafted a defensive tackle as a potential – and, you know, I don't want people to come for me, but like Eric Parent to uh, uh, Eric Armstead, right, because of his contract and so on and so forth, and maybe because of the product productivity he had last year during the regular season. Granted, he was injured a lot, but didn't have any sacks. But at any rate, you get what I'm saying. So that being said, the fact that they didn't grab another D-line uh, – a D-tackle, or like 3 tech or whatever – uh, that kind of speaks to me about that. That kind of tells the story to me that, um, uh, maybe they're good with what's in house. Where in contrast, getting multiple linebackers, they're looking at maybe even getting stronger than what they already have in house.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, I don't know if we, the fans, always see the vision, right? Uh, yeah. until you know the we see the product on the field that like come sundays in the fall it then we're like oh okay uh it all usually ends up panning out but yeah i mean you know the 49ers have always had these kind of weird drafts where they'll reach on certain players um you know you know i so i don't know how they value certain guys it seems like their value is not the same as like how you know draft sites or you know draft analysts typically would would look at some of these guys but it hasn't some okay some players haven't really panned out but others have so I guess we can't really argue too much with with uh you know what they've got and oh and and also David here makes a good point yes any chance we sign a veteran free agent edge I, I absolutely am not counting anything out at this point if the 49ers do want to get um, one of these free agents who are out there whether it be an interior defensive lineman whether it be an edge I personally I do like some of the edge guys that are available uh, Yannick would be my choice um, but you know I'm not ruling it out at this point none of these guys would count against the compensatory formula so you know you like that aspect after the draft you can pick some of these guys up and at this point they've just been sitting there as you know free agents this for over a month now so now that the price has gone down probably a little bit too you could probably negotiate some team friendly deals right now so i'm not counting it out you know the 49ers did free up some space with Christian McCaffrey's restructured deal or whatever they did so uh yeah that that could be something they they want to use going into the season but it could also be something they can start to use right now if they wanted to
0: i agree with you And something that i want to kind of share in regard to uh the roster construction is this like it's easy to get caught up in you know the lack of the um big or sexy names that you know maybe were not drafted or weren't drafted when some of these picks were made but again like you know I'll just speak for myself. Right. Going into this last season, as you know, we kind of talked a few times. I was a little concerned about the offensive line. Right. Offensive line was essentially not an issue. Right. Um, fifth ranked offense. Spencer Burford did his thing as a rookie. Uh, uh, Aaron Banks, you know, after redshirting that year, you know, had a strong um, um, season. Um, you know, so. It's clearly evident that these guys know what they're doing. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm one of those, you know, commenters that you see on like Twitter, or Instagram, where it's like, well, obviously they know better than you do, but clearly, clearly, you know, many of us were concerned about offensive line. You've heard multiple mm-hmm. times in this draft, every analyst had on their board that the Niners needed offensive linemen. Well, I mean, clearly, you know, what their free agent pickups as well as, you know, maybe maybe they're happy with the step Jalen Moore took. Um, clearly, they're happy with Colton McKibbitts. Um, Jake Brendel got re-signed, so they're clearly happy with that um, decision or whatever. You know, hate to sound cliche, but trusting the process might be what some of the fan base needs to do right now because history has shown, right? And I kind of spoke a little, while, a little while ago as well about the safety position. You know, many people going into the draft last year was, oh, well, you know, you know, Hufunga uh, was getting cooked. You know, Adam Thielen cooked him in that game, and then this person cooked him in that game, or whatever. He was an all-pro this year, so clearly, you know, they trusted in their their staff. They trusted in the development of that particular player. If they didn't, they probably would have gone to try to get more reinforcement and shore that up. Um, but um, specifically in you know, Hufunga's case, when Tart moved on, then they they were clearly okay with moving him into that position. They believed in him. That being said, as it relates, looking back at this draft class, people taking a breath, you know, letting 24, 48 hours pass, kind of diving into these guys a little bit more, you see where they fit, you see how they fit the culture, you see how these are the types of, these are, these are the types of players that um, have, you know, contributed, these types of players have contributed to the success that the team has had over these last few years that resulted in, you know, three NFC Championship appearances, one Super Bowl appearance. So, um, yeah, I think that that's that's probably what the fan base needs to kind of do a little bit as opposed to, you know, the one the, you know, comparing, right? You know, that saying mm-hmm. like comparison is the thief of joy <clears throat> when everyone's like losing their minds and like, you know, crowning how Howie Wiseman, what was it, Roseman or what's his name? The, the GM from the Eagles, mm-hmm. as like, you know, the the man, um, because of the big names that they're acquiring and such, that's that's good for them. That's well for them. But these guys appear to fit our system a system that has clearly worked and a system that's clearly had success. So um yeah, I think that's a that that, that might be uh some of the uh, the approach that um some of the fan base should take more of.
1: Yeah. I mean it's always tough to judge uh, you know, a draft right after it happens. True. I mean, in actuality we don't really get to know what these players are going to be until at least two years after, right? So I yeah. think we can judge now but i think some judgment should be saved for later so we'll we'll definitely do that and continue to look at these guys and and that'll start at training camp right we're going to get a good look at some of these guys and and see where they could start to fit in get a clear picture um but for now you know i'm i have no problems with it i i thought it was a fine class so um, I'm good with it, and man, we, we've we gone over an hour now, uh, talking about this class, and it, they had a lot of players, so it, it yeah. makes sense. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for for joining me today and, and, and talking about you know this draft class. Always, always love to hear what you think about it. Uh, tomorrow, guys, I'm gonna have uh, uh Ryan Roberts of Ryzen Draft. We're gonna go through the draft class, and in addition to the draft class, we'll also talk about the undrafted free agents and which one of those guys. Um, you know, he likes the most and whatnot. But for now, make sure. Oh, what up, RJ? I haven't seen you out here in a while, man. What up, man? Missed you on here. But uh make sure you guys like this video. Make sure you guys subscribe if you have not yet. But for now, have a good rest of your Monday. Have a good rest of your week. Peace.